Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Bible Prophecy for today. My name is Heather and we've got some headlines to cover for you guys today. Thank you so much for joining me. This is where I give you news and views from a West Texans a biblical point of view. And today we've got good news headlines this morning. We're going to talk about good news today. We're going to talk about the article that I touched on um, yesterday. The, um, the 12 questions um, for those who deny a kingdom of Israel. Guys, this is a fantastic article to give you some hope and maybe even kind of, you know, give you some answers of to what's going on with the different eschatological views out there. Now, this is going to help you guys maybe understand what the pre-tribulationist um, people believe and why we believe it. So let's jump in and check out this article. That is going to be 12 questions for those who dismiss the validity of future Bible prophecy. This is Jonathan Brittner. He's one of my favorite authors, and you can find him at jonathanbrittner.com. So, yes, folks, this is going to be found under all millennialism, apostasy, God's king, Israel, premillennialism, and replacement theology, if you want to hunt that up. So, anyway, he goes on to say, was the reestablishment of Israel as a nation in 1948 a fluke of history or the result of God's miraculous working on behalf of his people? Although I and many others see God's supernatural hand in it, most church leaders today claim Israel, Israel's current existence has nothing to do with Bible prophecy. So, I touched on this a little bit yesterday and uh, kind of gave you like a preview. So we're going to jump into these number one through 12. So number one, has God reneged on his covenant of the land with the patriarchs? When the Lord made his covenant of the land with Abraham in Genesis chapters 15 verses 12 through 21, he made his fulfillment totally dependent on himself rather than on the behavior of its recipients. Furthermore, Israel has never occupied all of the land he promised to the patriarchs. In Psalm uh, chapter 105 verses 7 through 11, God specifies that his covenant of the land is an everlasting covenant. How can one say that this everlasting covenant is now invalid without altering the meaning of the word everlasting? God's covenant of the land with Israel remains in effect today. It's impossible for him to renege on the solemn oath he swore to Abraham in Genesis chapters 15 verses 12 through 21. It is, after all, his eternal promise. Number two, when did God cleanse the people of Israel from all their sins and put his Holy Spirit in them? In Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 22 to 37, God promises, among many other things, to gather the Israelites from the nations. Okay, and he goes, cleanse all their sins and put his spirit within them. The fulfillment of these verses couldn't have happened before Jesus's ascension back to heaven, which is John chapter 16, verse 7, because God couldn't give the Holy Spirit in such a way before that time. He goes on to say, one must greatly distort the meaning of the prophet's many physical promises to Israel in this passage to make them even remotely apply to the church. Both the spiritual and tangible um, and tangible pledges refer to a future restored Israel. The question remains, when did the Lord fulfill the promises to Israel that he recorded in Ezekiel 34 verses 22 to 37 after the Lord's ascension? He hasn't done so, but will do so in the future. Number three, when did the Israelites repent as recorded in Zechariah chapter 12 verses 10 through 13 
or chapter 12 verses 10 through chapter 13 verse 1 in Zechariah 12 10 to 13 and 1 the prophet records a time of great repentance uh, for the people of Israel that occurs once they recognize that they crucified their Messiah in this passage the Lord goes out of his way to emphasize that this prophecy applies exclusively to the descendants of Jacob and no one else it's as if God knew that someday people would take this as a reference to the church and he needed to disallow such confusion by making sure we understand that this future awakening further applies to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem these words surely await a future awakening of Israel the one Paul refers to in Romans chapter 11 verses 25 through 36 in number four when did Jesus rule over the nations from Jerusalem in Zechariah chapter 14 verse 9 we read these words and the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day shall there be one Lord in his name one Okay, so he goes on to say, the context makes it abundantly clear that Jesus reigns over the nations of the world from Jerusalem. If we take the words of this prophecy in the way the prophet intended, the reign of Christ as described in Zechariah chapter 14 verses 9 through 21 has not yet happened. The words of this prophecy absolutely cannot be applied or cannot apply to the church unless one subjects them to human wisdom in the form of allegory this subject of symbolizing other words since all of Zechariah's predictions pr uh, regarding the first coming of Jesus happened precisely according to the words in the text was the justification for applying symbolical meaning to specific words not yet fulfilled there is none Jonathan says and I agree number five when did God make an end of sins and bring in everlasting righteousness in Daniel chapter 9 24 we find this promise 70 weeks are determined upon the people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy the prophecy refers to Daniel's quote people and quote the descendants of Jacob and the holy city which must be Jerusalem the Messiah will accomplish the ending of sin and the bringing in of everlasting righteousness during the 70 weeks of years designated for Israel and Zion and since these words remain unfulfilled to this day God must still have a purpose for both his people and holy city if one suggests that this prophecy somehow refers to the church we must ask has God ever worked through the church to make an end of sins and bring in everlasting righteousness are these are these tasks the New Testament assigns to the church for now or in the future the answer to both questions is an emphatic no there must be a 70th week of Daniel because the Lord has not yet accomplished all he promised to do in Israel 9 chapter 24 I'm sorry chapter 9 verse 24 during the 70 weeks of years so number six when did the 70th week of Daniel occur if there is not a glorious restoration of a kingdom for Israel that signifies that God gave up on his purposes for his people and city before completing the 70th weeks of Daniel chapter 9 verses 24 through 27 that scenario of course is impossible and he says as he demonstrated in the biblical necessity of a third Jewish temple there must be a future 70th week of Daniel because a key event in this week has not yet happened the Bible says the Lord himself at his return to earth will kill the one who desecrates a temple which happens in the middle of the last week which is also seen in 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 3 through 8 has this happened 
No, either Paul was mistaken about the defilement of the Jewish temple by the Antichrist or the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 927 will happen in the future during what we call the seven-year tribulation. In other words, if there is no future time when the Antichrist defiles the future Jewish temple and is subsequently killed at Jesus' return to earth, we cannot trust Paul's word in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Of course, the words of the apostle are inspired Bible prophecy. <clears throat> Excuse me. There must be a future seven-year period of time when God returns or when God turns his focus back to the Jewish people. So, number seven, when did Jesus rule over the nations with a rod of iron? If one believes that God has replaced Israel with the church, one must subject hundreds of verses in the Psalms to subject symbolism. The psalmist often speaks of Jesus' second coming and his reign over the nations of the earth. Psalm 2 is the first such messianic psalm. Verses 7 through 12 describe Christ's inheritance of the nations from his father. In verse 9, we read these descriptive words about the nature of his future reign. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Does Jesus rule in such a way over the church? Absolutely not. The apostle Peter refers to him as our chief shepherd that's first peter uh, chapter 5 verse 4 jesus nourishes and cherishes his church ephesians 5 29 he does not rule with the rod of iron over his own body can psalm 2 refer to the eternal state again that's impossible because sin will not exist in this future realm that's revelation chapter 21 verse 4 in the words of scripture if the words of scripture mean what they say there must be a time between the church age and in the eternal state when Jesus rules over the nations just as the prophet Zechariah tells us in chapter 14 verses 9 through 21. This rule must come from Jerusalem and include punishment for evil behavior. Number eight, did Gabriel mislead Mary when he told her she would be the mother of the Messiah? In Isaiah chapter 9 verses 7, the prophet says that someday the Messiah will sit upon the throne of David. We take verse 6 as literal when it says that Christ would enter the world as a child. Why not regard his kingdom rule on the throne of David in the same way? Many, however, do not. He says he believes the words of Gabriel to Mary, as recorded in Luke chapters 31 through 32, confirm the literalness of all the prophet's words in Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. So, when Mary heard these words from the angel, she was thinking of a spiritual kingdom or a literal realm? I'm sorry, was she thinking of a spiritual kingdom or a literal realm? Was there any precedent for her to regard her son's future rule as anything but that of a physical reign on David's throne? If so, what was it? Since God knew her understanding would be that of a tangible kingdom on earth, why would Gabriel repeat the entire promise of Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 through 7 if Mary was not to take it at face value? Even the disciples on that on the day of Jesus' ascension into heaven expected a future physical kingdom for Israel. How can we assume Mary regarded the promise of Gabriel as anything but that? And if so, its fulfillment must happen exactly, exactly as the Lord through Gabriel promised Mary, or else we create a tangled web of epic proportions. And number nine, when did God break the fixed order of nature? After prophesying about the new covenant that God would make with the house of Israel in the house of Judah, Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, Jeremiah records of the Lord's unalterable pledge to Israel's 
continuance as a nation in chapters 31 verses 35 and 36 and it says thus saith the lord which giveth the sun for a light by day in the ordinance of the moon and of the stars for a light by night which divideth the sea when the waves therefore thereof roar the lord of hosts is his name if those ordinances depart from before me saith the lord then the seed of israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever they continue a fixed order of nature confirms that the lord still has a purpose for the nation of israel and to counter any quote spiritual application of his words god cites physical places within the city of jerusalem that will be rebuilt someday he repeats the identical pledge in regard to his covenant with david in jeremiah chapters 33 14 through 22 and then again in chapter 33 23 through 26 a response to jews who at the time said that God had rejected Israel. In these passages, we have God's emphatic confirmation of his covenants with Israel and David, which he pledges will remain intact as long as the fixed order of nature continues. And so it brings us to number 10. When did David rule over Israel after the Babylonian captivity? During the time that the people of Judah were in captivity in Babylon, the prophet Ezekiel recorded the Lord's amazing promises for his people in Ezekiel's chapter 37 verses 24 through 28. Two aspects from these verses stand out in his mind, he says. This is once again an article by Jonathan Brittner. Number one, he says David will be king over Israel in the future. And number two, the Lord will establish an everlasting covenant of peace with Israel at the time of David's reign over Israel. See also Isaiah chapter 54 verse 10 for another reference to this still future covenant. He goes on to say he believes that during the millennium, a resurrected David will rule with Jesus in Jerusalem with duties that pertain to Israel. Others regard this prophecy as a future or as a reference to Christ, David's descendants. Either way, the promise remains unfulfilled to this day. Now, once again, folks, this is Jonathan Brittner's opinion, not mine. I'm just reading his article. So he goes on to say in Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 15 through 28, specifies a restoration for Israel that has not even remotely happened since the time the prophet wrote these words. All attempts to apply these verses to the church fall woefully short. And number 11, when did the great tribulation occur? In Matthew chapter 24, verses 21, Jesus said that a period of great tribulation will occur just before his second coming. During this time, the Antichrist will persecute the Jewish people after desecrating the Jewish temple. See also Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 through 22, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Matthew 24 presents a dilemma for those who deny the restoration of a glorious kingdom for Israel. If Jesus' words point to a still future time, it confirms that the 70th week of Daniel, chapter 9, verses 24 and 27, awaits a future fulfillment. Abundant discrepancies and contradictions arise when teachers assume that Matthew 24 refers to the entire time from Jesus' ascension to his return to earth. Those who say that all of the Matthew 24 represents past history, as many claim, do irreparable harm to the words of the text and to many other scriptures as well. The great tribulation to which Jesus refers awaits a future fulfillment as it leads directly to his second coming. 
all the words of Matthew 24 verses 3 through 31 were future when Jesus spoke them. But today the Lord is graciously giving the world the precursors of the signs in this text as a warning that it is word that his words as well as the judgments of the book of Revelation will most certainly happen in the not too distant future. And number 12, guys, why did the disciples still expect a future restoration of a kingdom for Israel? In Acts 1 through, uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, the disciples asked Jesus this question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel or restore the kingdom to Israel? I remember, he says, a pastor roaring with laughter when I told him that the disciples continuing expectation of a restored kingdom for Israel meant this glorious realm was still future. I listened as another preacher changed the wording of the disciples question in order to support his belief in replacement theology. He says four years ago, he says he wrote a post titled The Expectation of the Disciples. In it, he says he demonstrated why the disciples question in Acts 1 verses 6, along with Jesus' response to it verifies a still future uh, restored kingdom of Israel. And so he goes on and he says, in summation, he says, only the expectation of a still future glorious kingdom satisfactorily answers these 12 questions. He says, all the errant views re regarding the end times begin with the assumption that God has replaced Israel with the church. He says, he knows that many who hold fast to replacement theology also maintain the purity of the gospel, which he applauds, he says. He goes, however, he also knows that those who symbolize Bible prophecy regarding the restoration of Israel opened the door for the same treatment of other passages. The church, the church is most likely to compromise with the evils of our culture are those that have long dismissed Jesus's rule over Israel during the millennium. This comes as a result of applying symbolic meaning to other clear passages of scripture. Tim Moore, in a recent Harbinger's Daily article, wrote, Why did God foretell so much about Jesus' first advent and second coming? Clearly, he wanted those with eyes to see, to have discernment, and to keep their hearts attuned to the Messiah. The Lord Jesus expected the Jewish leaders of his day to recognize the signs of the first advent because of the many prophecies in Scripture. Matthew chapter 16, verse 1 through 4, Luke 12, 54 through 56. How much more is it incumbent upon us today to do the same with the end times? He goes on to talk about his book, uh, The Triumphant of the Redeemed in Eternal Perspective that Calms Our Fears in Perilous Times. And that is available on Amazon. Guys, if you want to go check that out, I seriously tell you, you should. I do like Jonathan Britton. He's one of my favorite authors. So anyway, guys, with that I wanted to jump on and give you guys this article today. So I'm running short on time again, but things are happening. One thing I did want to touch on, let's touch on this here really quick. So this is Bill Koenig. If you haven't gone to that, it's watch.org. You can check it out. Guys, this is Diabolically Wicked. This was posted um, yesterday, January the 13th of 2023. I can't believe it's 2023, but anyway, I did this. Sounds weird when you say it out loud. Anyway, so born alive bill passed by House Republicans would require care for infants born alive after failed abortion. But you're not going to believe who's opposed to that. And it starts with demon. I mean, Democrat. Yes, folks, they are opposed to this. So the House of Representatives passed a born alive abortion survivors protection act on Wednesday with votes at 220 to 210. Isn't that just despicable? Anyway, if approved, the legislation would require health practitioners to care for an infant that is born alive after a failed abortion, according to the law. Now, I want you to sit back and think about this just one moment. So right now, if a if a baby is born alive after they tried to murder it, 
what what do they do they let it die they murder it folks this is wicked this is bail this is murder folks this is words in the english language cannot convey what i feel right now and i'm sure you too anyway in order to become a law the bill would need to be approved in the senate and signed by president joe biden which is unlikely senate majority leader chuck schumer said wednesday that the bill along with a second anti-abortion bill are doomed in the senate and extreme folks this make you sick at your stomach they call that extreme they call that extreme if a baby is born alive it's extreme that the health care provider provide care for it folks what what is going on are you still wanting to live in this world are you still saying hey i'm gonna have my best life now i want to do this and i want to do that and oh jesus don't come back yet because you know i want my kids to grow up really what what world do you want your kids to grow up in look around the world today folks this is not this is not the world of our childhood this is not the world of the 80s 70s 60s whatever dare i even say 90s folks this is wicked so the born alive act pelosi schumer meltdown after new bill requires care for babies born during failed abortion senior democratic lawmakers took to twitter shortly after the house passed the born alive abortion survivors protection act which requires doctors to provide care for infants born alive after a failed abortion to criticize the republicans who supported this extreme bill former house speaker nancy pelosi Democrat, Democrat of California, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, and Vice President Kamala Harris were among those who responded. Quote, today, instead of joining Democrats to condemn all political violence, House Republicans chose to push their extreme anti-choice agenda, Pelosi tweeted Wednesday. Yes, folks, anti-choice. That if you tried to murder your baby and it was still born alive, well, you're going to murder it again because we're not going to provide care for it. We're just going to throw it over here in the trash can. Folks, wicked, 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 demonic, demonic. There's no other word for it. Nobody else could be that, that evil. Anyway. Another quote, House Republicans passed an extreme bill today that will further jeopardize the right to reproductive health care in our country. Vice President Kamala Harris tweeted, this is yet another attempt by Republican legislators to control women's bodies. I don't know what to tell you, but if a baby is born out of a woman's body, that's not her body. That's that baby's body. Hello. Hello. Who in the world thinks that this is... I, I would like to do a poll. <laughs> Who thinks this is freaking wicked? What? These are the people in, in, in the government. You know, God says he raises people up and he takes kings down. Well, right now, the United States is under judgment. It's under God's judgment. And this is what we have. This is what we have in the administration. You know, Romans 1 culture. Mm. I'm not saying everybody in the United States is like, I'm not saying we are still a christian there are still many christians in this country it is our time to pray we need to pray we need to pray and i was reading um through through my bible today and if you guys want a repentance psalm psalm 51 psalm 51 i read that this morning and i'm still in psalm 34 and i'm still in deuteronomy chapter 13 and 14 and i'm also in deuteronomy chapter 5 so i'm still studying the commandments that god gave us so there's a lot to that if we break it down into the you know uh, Hebrew you can break that down there's a lot of stuff to look at it but guys I'm absolutely appalled up 
appalled. So let's read a little bit more. Minnesota Democrats want to repeal protections for infants who survive abortions. This is by um, Anthony Gokowski. Anthony Gokowski. And it was posted on the 12th of January. And you can find it at alphanews.org. Minnesota Democrats have introduced a bill that would repeal several of the state's restrictions, quote-unquote, on abortion, including a statute that protects infants who survive abortions. The Born Alive Infants Protection Act was passed by the Minnesota legislature in 2015. It states that abortion survivors should be fully recognized as human persons and provided with medical care to preserve their lives. Representative Tina Liebling, DFL Rochester, wants to repeal these protections because they are an insult to doctors she said during a house health committee meeting on thursday an insult (laughs) folks um her bill would also repeal restrictions on the use of public funds for abortion and a requirement that aborted babies be disposed of in a dignified and sanitary manner Representative Ann Nui Brindley, our representative of Republican North Branch, attempted to preserve the Born Alive Infants Protection Act, but her amendment to Liebing's bill was rejected. Rejected? Folks, I don't want to live in this world anymore, do you? No. (laughs) The Bible says Jesus told us we are in this world or we are not of this world. And thank God for that, that we have been sanctified, set apart, we're not in we we're not of this world folks that's why for us this is just unbelievable unbelievable that this stuff is happening around the world and nobody bats an eye no because that's satan has blinded their eyes satan has blinded their eyes anyway we'll go on quote it is very clearly a person who is alive it is absolutely shocking to me that we are having this discussion it was not enough to support the most radical abortion policy in the world now we are saying that even if a baby is born alive that that child also should not live that that child also has no rights near brindley said mm. this repealer literally allows infanticide she said Or she added, it is abhorrent that we are sitting here right now having this conversation. I cannot believe the lack of humanity that is on the table today. Leibling responded by condemning Neil Brindley's personal inflammatory politically motivated rhetoric. She's an evil, wicked. I can't say that because I try to keep this family friendly. (laughs) I am a Christian, so, you know, I try. But God said you're supposed to get a righteous anger is, is different. I believe that God is absolutely angry over all of this i'm sure you guys do too anyway remember jesus flipped over tables hello mcfly anyway quote this this is libeling this evil wicked woman anyway quote this law that we are repealing in this bill is first of all based on a lie about how abortion works this is not what happens in abortion but it is built around the this insulting idea that medical professors are unethical and they need politicians standing over their shoulder in the room where they're treating their patient and murdering their patient's baby uh, to make sure that they behave appropriately, Liebling said. Quote, to say that there are no protections in Minnesota law for infants who are alive is absolutely untrue and inflammatory, she continues. What if we had a law that said legislatures must not beat their spouses? What an idiot. There is a... I'm sorry. According to the Minnesota Department of Health, there were five infants who survived abortions in 2021. New Brindley's amendment to preserve protections for born alive 
infants was rejected in an 8 to 11 vote by the DFL or the Democrats controlled committee demon rats. So I'm going to name them. Democrats have also rejected bans on partial birth abortions and late term abortions this legislative session. They are moving a bill through the Minnesota legislature that would guarantee a woman's fundamental right to abort her baby for any reason up to the moment of birth. I want you to think about that. Think about that. You know, Biden, remember, he supported the partial birth abortion and so did Obama. Actually, they voted for it and they said it was legal. Think about it. And then, of course, Trump said no and and struck that down. But what was the first thing Biden and them did? Well, they put that right back in. You want to tell me that that's not murder? God, I almost start crying, you guys. This is terrible. This is wicked. Absolutely. And you wonder why I say Maranatha all the time. Because I want our Lord Jesus to come and take us out of this hellhole. But we are still here for a reason. And we are here to appoint wicked people like this to the Lord Jesus Christ because he still loves them. He still loves them. Yeah, we've done wicked things too, but yet he still loves us. So I have to keep that, you know, I have to think about that. And I know it's hard. It's hard for all of us to think like that. But we still must pray for these wicked people. We have to, that they would turn to Christ and accept Jesus as their Savior and pray for forgiveness. Because he will, he'll forgive them too. He forgave us, he'll forgive you. There's nothing he can do that is too bad that Jesus won't forgive you. For us, we see this un- unbelievable, this is Satan. This is satanic, folks. And remember, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and those in high places. Remember, we still have to keep that. We have to remember that. That it's not the person, but that person's being controlled by Satan. You know what I mean? He's being controlled by demonic forces. His eye, Satan has blinded his eyes, his people's eyes. He's blinded them. Why else would you think this was even, even remotely okay? But we go back into biblical times and we go back in the Bible and we read through the history. Baal, even the Israelites offered their children to Baal. This was the burning set. Remember, it's no different than what they're doing today. It's no different than what these people are doing right now. We have to pray. We have to pray for them. Because only Jesus Christ can turn their hearts. Only Jesus Christ can can save them. Only he can show them the way. Only the Holy Spirit's conviction can do this. Not us, but we can pray for it. And the Holy Spirit will, will do it. If they, if, if, I mean, it's a personal choice, folks. But we got to pray. Anyway, I hate to end on such a terrible note. That's just wicked. Maybe I can find a good article. Let me, let me see have something better we're going to end on psalm 139 today and i'm reading on the nlt because there's a lot of people that listen from you know different countries so we'll make it you know we're not going to do the king jimmy version okay so oh lord you have examined my heart and know everything about me you know when i sit down or stand up you know my thoughts even when i'm far away you see me when i travel and when i rest at home you know everything i do You know what I am going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. And if I go down to the grave, you are there. 
if I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day, darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God, they cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. O oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. O oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred. For your enemies are my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Folks, that is Psalm 139. And may we hold fast to that today. I'm going to leave you with that wonderful word from God. And yes, we should hate what he hates. We should hate sin. So anyway, with that, guys, I'm going to get off of here. And as always, get in the Word of God. Let the Word of God get into you. And Maranatha, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. Thank you guys so much for listening. And may God bless each and every one of you.